If you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. That's page 1068 in the Pew Bibles. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And if you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It is uh, encouraging to us that you're here, and we hope that we can encourage you by us being together to worship God. Uh, It is wonderful to have the two families uh, with us this morning Uh, as new members. We welcome you. We hope that uh, your time uh, will be an encouraging and a growing experience for you spiritually in the life of this congregation. As really that is what our goal is, as long as we're together. Let's grow and serve God together. A gentleman came into the services one day, as the story goes, and it was a very unusual sight. He was in a very expensive suit, but had an old baseball cap on. And he came in and he was seated. Immediately, the usher was very uncomfortable with that. And so he walked up and he kindly introduced himself and got the fellow's name and said, Hey, uh, just want to remind you to be sure and take off your cap during uh, worship today. He says, oh, sure, sure. He sets his cap off, and the usher walks off. And as the usher walks off, he puts his cap back on. A few minutes, uh, an elder comes by, and he kindly introduces himself. So just wanted to meet you, and just want to remind you, you had your cap on. We'll remind you to take that off for worse. He says, oh, sure, sure. He takes his cap off, and then when he walks away, he puts the hat back on. A few minutes later, the preacher comes along. Same scenario. Introduces himself, says, hey, we're glad to have you. Just want to remind you about your baseball cap there. And Oh, sure, sure. Sorry about that. Sets it off person behind him is really getting kind of agitated with all this. Says, man, what's wrong with you? He says, why do you keep putting your cap on? He says, listen, I've been visiting this congregation for three months and hadn't met a soul. And now this cap, I've met an usher and I met an elder. I met the preacher and now I'm meeting you. <laughs> now, I want you to think for just a moment. What would someone have to do to be able to meet you? Every week we have visitors. As a matter of fact, our stack of visitors' cards are very thick. But now let's not think about them in form of a card. Let's think about them in the fact that they are people. They're souls. Every week we have many people sitting around you, right where you're sitting right now, that are visitors. What would they have to do to meet you? If they did something negative, would you introduce yourself? But what if they simply came in and they looked a lot like you and they were here for a very similar reason? They wanted to learn more about God. They wanted to worship God. They wanted something in their life that was far greater than just themselves. They wanted to spend an eternity with God also. What would they have to do to meet you? This morning, we're continuing what we do each year. And each year we do it a little bit differently. We set aside at least one Sunday each year where we focus all day long on the second greatest command. To love thy neighbor as thyself. As I looked this week at the many one another passages. In other words, 
the phrase one another is in the Bible over and over and over. And as I simply took out a a legal pad and, and I began jotting down all of those passages of one another, so many of them spoke of ways that we prove our love for one another. Others of them just spoke of other characteristics that we are to share and we are to practice in our life for one another. It was amazing to me that the passage that was read this morning about our assembly. In other words, it's almost as if God is saying in the book of Hebrews, I've already told you how we're to love one another, but I want to remind you of something. That also is to be practiced when you come together in the assembly. Doesn't that sound strange to even have to say that? Of all places that surely we would practice love for one another, surely we would do it when we come together to worship God. It would just seem natural that a family of God that comes together, that they would practice that love for each other as they're walking in and as they're visiting afterwards. I want you to realize that this morning, I do not present this lesson to you because I think that there's a serious problem at Mount Julia Church of Christ in this area. That's not the case at all. But I do present you this lesson, number one, because it's from the Word of God and we always need to study what every passage of the Word of God has to say. But number two, I want to urge you to realize also that God has placed us in a very, perhaps even unique situation. If we could take the number of churches of Christ across America and we could rank them according to the percentage of visitors which come into our doors every Sunday, I would suggest to you that we would be among the top. I'm not saying the highest, but I'm saying among the top percentages, maybe the top 10%. You see, God has given us a huge responsibility. How are we dealing with all of the visitors that are among us? We have over 6,000 homes that have just begun construction or soon will begin construction in our community. Not the outlying areas within the city limits of Mount Juliet. We have close to 20,000 population being built their homes right now. What kind of welcome will they receive? Now, why is this so important? Is it just because we want to be able to say that we're a friendly congregation? Well, friends, that alone would be something honorable. I would hate to say that the truth is we're not a friendly congregation. So yes, we want to be able to say we're a friendly congregation. But far beyond that, we want visitors to say we're a friendly congregation. Did you know that the most frequent way, and this is proven in studies, do you know that the most frequent ways people describe their congregation is they describe their congregation as a friendly congregation? Did you know that visitors very, very uh, seldom describe congregations in that way? You see what's happening? People say we're friendly. Visitors say they're not friendly when you do studies across churches. And so we're not necessarily so concerned this morning. What is everybody else or what are we saying about ourselves? But it is what are all the visitors saying about us? But it's not just what's being said. Let me lay out for you a scenario. And you can imagine this principle is definitely true. And the details would alter with almost every visitor. But I just want to make up a scenario here. And I hope that this helps formulate in our mind the importance of being warm and welcoming to one another. Let's think about 
a scenario of a man and a woman that, let's just say the woman grew up in a religious home. And after they got married, they stopped going to church. And, and after they were married for several years, they had their first child. And now their child is two years old. And, and the mother was down at McDonald's and, and she was letting her child play in the little play area there. And she was sitting and she was talking with another mother here of the Mount Julia Church of Christ. And that mother, as they were talking, just talked about their children, talked about life in the church family and said, we'd love for you to visit us sometime at Mount Julia. Church of Christ. Now, that got the mother to thinking. She wasn't thinking so much about the Mount Julia Church of Christ. She was simply thinking about the way she grew up. You know, I remember loving going to Bible class. I remember growing up in a religious family. And she began to think about this and even feel some guilt about this. And one Saturday night, it seemed to come out of nowhere. She said to her husband, let's, let's go to church sometime." And he says, well, we haven't done that since we've been married. We've never walked into a church building married before. She said, I know. But I was just thinking about our our son. And I really would love for him to know God. And I'd like for him to know the scriptures. I'd like for his friends to be friends that know God. Let's go to church. He says, okay, sure. I'll go with you. Where do you want to go? She says, well, I really don't know any church around here. A a lady the other day told me about the Mount Julie Church of Christ. Uh, Why don't we go there? So they set their alarm. They get in the car. And both of them are nervous. They drive into our parking lot. Now I want you to be thinking, how's this story going to unfold? They park beside someone, and as they get out of the car, there's other people getting out of the car. What happens? Does anyone speak? Does anyone welcome them? They're seeing a huge building and just wondering, I guess that's the door we go in. I'm not really certain. And they're constantly watching the other people that are either saying hello it's good to have you guys today. Can, can we help you find anything? Or they're watching people ignore them and just rush right in the building. They come in and someone greets them. Or do they greet them? They're looking around, not really for sure where to go. They've never been in this facility. They don't know where the auditorium is. They don't know where classrooms are. When service is over, And they're walking out to the car. What would cause that couple to say, we want to go back there? Would it be because of a a great song service? Would it be because a powerful lesson was presented that day? I'm talking about because of the very first visit. What would cause that couple to want to return? Odds are, It will be because of what someone did or didn't say to them in the parking lot, in the foyer, in the auditorium, after the closing prayer, in a Bible class, after a Bible class, and on the way back to the parking lot. Friends, the doctrine and worship are so important. I'm not belittling how important it is that we teach the truth. 
I'm not trying to take anything away from the worship, but the reality is what brings people back for the second visit so that they can learn what the will of God is, is how you and I treat them. Whether or not we show them the love of God. Look with me, if you will, as as we look here in Hebrews, the 10th chapter again. It's been so capably read for us. I'd like for you to look for the one another statement as we read verse 24. He said, and and really there's a one another statement in both of these passages, depending on which translation you're reading. But in 24 he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but, and here's another one, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why is it that we've come together this morning? Our greatest and most purest motive for coming together this morning is to worship God. But what is it that we are to accomplish as well as worshiping God? The Lord says, I want you to consider one another when you come together. Notice this isn't an option. This isn't, he's saying, I want you to consider one another if you're comfortable with doing that. I remember when when Colton was a little fellow, uh, he he just wouldn't say a word to anyone. Uh, He'd be in the home, in the house, and you could go all day long and not know that he was there. And people would come up and they would speak to him and he'd put his head down. And somebody would say, hey, it's good to see you. What's your name, buddy? Put his head down. Well, as you can imagine, we had some father and son talks. And they were real simple and to the point. I know God made you quiet. I know you don't like to talk. But let me tell you something. You are going to speak to people and you are going to answer questions. And not only that, you're going to look them in the eye when you do it. If you don't, you're not going to like the consequences. It will be a very, very hard spanking. Well, he didn't believe it. He had to get some of those very, very hard spankings. And by the time he was just a little bit above a toddler, he at least would look them in the eye, shake the hands, and say his name and say hello. Now, even to this day, he doesn't say much. But he at least, he at least can break out of his comfort zone to do what he was supposed to do. I need to realize this morning we're talking about something that for some people it comes so easy. And for other people they have to decide if they're going to obey their father. You see, the father didn't give us a clause in here that says, oh, just whatever you're comfortable with. If, if you just like sitting by yourself and not acknowledging anyone, there can be a lost soul that's coming to your assembly and they've sat down to the right of you. Just ignore them. Let them lose their soul for eternity. I don't care. I understand. That's the way that you are. You just like being quiet. Of course he doesn't give a clause like that. What does he say? He says, I want you to consider one another. Not only, which comes from the idea of I want you to perceive them. I want you to behold them. I want you, it literally means I want you to discover them. He's saying, I want you to look to the people around you. He's talking about when the assembly comes together. He says, I want you to discover the people around you. And I want you to have enough love and enough interest in their soul. I want you to figure out what is it that you could say to them and do and become to them, friends, etc. What is it that you could do that would stir them up? so that they would know the love of God. It would stir them up so that they would want to do good works. Notice, it's right there, what we're going through. And he says, I also want you, when you come together, notice you can't do this if you're forsaking the assembly. He says, I want you to come together, and in so doing, I want you to exhort one another. The idea of exhortation is to invite to the side of Christ. Are we willing to invite someone to the side of Christ? Isn't it a shame if we were sitting in our very assemblies, And we gave off such an attitude that instead of inviting others 
to learn of Christ in our very own assemblies, we are shunning people from the love of Christ, from the good works of Christ, from the sight of Christ. And so we have a huge responsibility. Every time the church comes together, we have a Father, God-given responsibility. Who is it I can encourage? Who is it that I can stir up so that when they leave here this morning, they will say, those people love each other. Those people love God. See, stirring up in love. I want to be a part of a, a people that's like that. I want to make changes in my life. See the good works. I want to come to the side of Christ. I want to commit my life so that I too can be a part of that family. Now notice also, if you will, go with me to Romans the 12th chapter. In Romans the 12th chapter, he takes this idea even a little bit deeper when he says not only to consider one another, but now he writes in Romans the 12th chapter, a very beautiful writing here when he says in verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Let's work back through this verse for just a moment. When he says be kindly affectionate, Really, in, in our English, we lose a lot of the meaning that's in the Greek of this word. This word comes from a love, it's storge. Uh, it, it comes from a form of storge. Storge is a love that is felt between blood relatives. In other words, when you see the natural love that, that brothers have for each other, and they stand up for each other, and they, they don't speak evil of each other, they love each other, they go out of their way to welcome each other, this is the kind affection that is spoken of here. That is literally the original. And he's saying, now that love that you naturally have for your physical family, he says, I want you to be able to practice that in your spiritual family. Now someone says, well, how could we do that? He says, you're going to have to give honor to each other. In other words, you're going to have to intentionally esteem each other. Well, how are we going to do that? He says, we're going to have to prefer each other in preference to one another. And the idea of preference is to lead the way. This past week, Andrew and Phil and I were eating lunch together, and uh, we happened to see PD uh, where we were eating lunch. And while we were there, we heard him talk to his brother, Earl Wayne, on the telephone. When we got in the vehicle, Phil says, I love the way they're close. He says, I love the way they just stay in touch with each other all day. And they always stand up for each other. And then immediately he began naming brother sets that are in this congregation. And he named several of you guys. It was amazing. He named off just five or six brother sets just like that. And he said, all of those guys, he says, I've watched them. They love each other. And they stand up for each other. And they know where each other is. And they're involved in each other's life. He says, I love to watch brothers like that. Friends, that's what the Lord is teaching us here when He uses the example. He's saying, this is what I want the church family to be. But He says, He begins by saying, I want you to have that brotherly love. I want you to be kindly affectionate one for another. But it's not going to come as natural for us because we're not all blood related except by the price of Jesus Christ's blood. And he says in that, we can learn to esteem one another. But how can we learn it? He says we're going to have to give preference to one another. And that preference is to lead the way. 
Now, do you realize how this ties in when we think about the Lord saying, I want you to lead the way for each other? And then we think about a visitor coming in and he's already said, I want you to consider them. I want you to behold them. I want you to discover them. In other words, don't let a visitor sit among you and and not even know that they're there. But not only should we be aware that they're there, but we have to lead the way. We have to give preference. In other words, do you wait for the visitor to speak to you or do you lead the way? If you wait and let them speak to you, you've not given them preference. You've just responded whenever they've spoken. And so our responsibility is that we're to lead the way. We are to love and appreciate someone so much that we, in fact, would be just that, the one that would go out of the way to esteem them, to lift them up. I'd like to read to you, and and I almost didn't put this in the sermon this morning because I do not think that this is the norm, and I don't want anyone to think after this lesson was over, well, David was just trying to beat us down this morning. I promise you that's not the case. I want to give you this lesson, and I want to give you this one illustration in this lesson to show you this. That we can go out of our way to welcome folks, but when we do not do it with one family, we have failed that one family. In other words, are we satisfied to say, well, probably 90% of our visitors feel pretty welcome. Let's make sure that we have a heart that says we love every soul. And if someone visits with us, we want to encourage them to grow closer to God. If someone visits with us and they don't know God, we want to help them know God. We want them to know the love of God. Let me read for you, and you can read along as we read this letter here. This is an email I received back a few months ago. It says, My family and I visited your congregation a couple of Sundays ago. We live in Franklin and worship in Brentwood. We were in the area for a baseball tournament and attended your 8 o'clock service. We enjoyed your lesson on service in many ways that members of the church can serve. One thing stuck with us as we left our, our, uh, your building. It was announced that there were 462 people present that morning. We sat near the front of the auditorium for the service. Upon dismissal of the service, one of the 462 people present for that service, or out of the 462 uh, people present for that service, one person introduced himself to us and welcomed us. I realize that with a crowd that large, it's difficult to recognize who the members are and who the visitors are, but I also think it's vital to the growth of any church to make a special effort to welcome those that visit. Just thought you would like some feedback on our visit. Doesn't that break your heart? When I read that, just kind of ruined my day. What a shame. Someone could come and, and sit in the very front of our auditorium, an entire family, and only one person would go up and introduce themselves. I think that's the exception. Uh, right after that particular visit, I had another couple tell me on a Sunday night, this is the friendliest church we've ever uh, been a part of, we've ever visited. They were visiting that night, said, we've never seen anything like this. We hear a lot of positive comments. But I just want you to see that we have a responsibility every Sunday. We have a responsibility to behold and then to prefer In other words, are we going to make the first step? Are we going to be the one that steps out? Well, that's just not really my personality. We're not asking you what your personality is. Well, that's just not really my comfort level. We're not asking you what your comfort level is. We're just simply reading from the Word of God. And the Word of God tells all of us, consider one another. The Word of God tells us to give preference to one another. We are to be the ones that lead the way that says, we welcome you. As we think about 
how do you give preference? I'd like for you to look with me to Philippians, the second chapter. In Philippians, the second chapter, we see some insight of how to give preference. In Philippians, the second chapter, let's begin reading at three and four. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. See, that's, that's the opposite of giving preference, selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, here's the humility, let each esteem others, that's the honor, uh, better than themselves. Let each of you, now here's the secret, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In other words, if we're totally going to be unselfish, if we really are going to have the mind of Christ, and that's the next verse, verse 5, that he's talking about here. So if we're going to have the mind of Christ, and we're going to be unselfish, and, and we're going to reach out to people the way God would have us to reach out to people, what do we need? Genuine interest in other people's interest. What would that be? I want to tell you something, not to make light, or, or to make it just like a... a a formula that, that takes away the sincerity. But I want to tell you something, because what I hear a lot of people say is, I would love to welcome visitors, but I don't know what to say. I'd like for you to remember the, the word form, F-O-R-M. We've got to do this very quickly. I wish we had 10 minutes spent on this, but we don't. So think about this very quickly. Put this in your mind. Every time you walk up to a visitor, or even if it's someone that you don't know well, and you simply want to learn more about them, you have a genuine interest in them. The first thing you want to do is you want to ask them about their family, because this is something that interests almost everyone. Oh, is this your wife with you? Are these your children with you? Or if they come in alone, now do your family live in this area? No, I, my, my husband passed away a year ago and, and my children live so-and-so. Well, see, you've learned about them. Now you know questions to ask. Now you know uh, what interests them. Oh, yes, these are my children. This, this is my third grader and, and my high school age, uh, they, they're in another part of the building. See, you're learning about them. If we want to have interest, we have to have interest in other people's interests. People are interested in their family. All right, a second one is the O. With the O, we talk about occupation. Where do you work? That's an interest to people. That's something they do every day. Where do you work? Now, notice as we do this, we're also figuring out ways to network. With family, oh, you go to that school? Well, now, so-and-so standing right over there, they go to that school too. Oh, your occupation is such-and-such. Well, you know, we have several members here. As a matter of fact, we have members that work right where you work. You see that person over there? Let me introduce you. They work with you. I didn't know they went to church there. Conversations like that are frequent whenever we take the time to have interest in other people's interest. And so uh, you say, well, they're retired. Okay, find out what their work was. They still have interest in it if they've given their life to it. And then we look at the R. The R is recreation. Most people have an interest in recreation. I know there's going to be exceptions to this, but still, most people will talk about recreation. Oh, you went to the Titans game last night. All right, how did that go? Oh, so what sports do you play? On and on you can go there. Also, another R that you can do is religion. Now, are you just passing through or, or do you have a home church and you just visited with us today? We can find out about the religion. We can find out the best ways to encourage them. But then the M is a message. As we've talked to them, we want to figure out, before I leave this person, what is it that I can do that will best encourage them? Would you like for me to show you uh, my Bible class where I go to class? I'd love for you to sit with me. Let's, let's go to class together. All of you that attend this service, that ought to be your message after every a.m., 8 o'clock service. How are people going to know where to go to class when 400 and something people dismiss at one time? There will be people that will consider them and give them preference and their message will be, 
We'd love to help you find class. Maybe the class you go to is not appropriate for them, but wouldn't you be glad to help them find that class? Another message is, would you like to have lunch with us today? We'd love for you to come over. Another message is, we'd love for you to come back tonight. We, we meet at 6 o'clock. What is the message that you'll leave with them? Make sure another part of that message is that you'll simply turn to someone else that's standing around you and say, I'd like for you to meet them. Tell them a couple of things about them. And then hopefully that person will visit with them and turn around and introduce them to others also. If you'll always introduce a visitor to someone else, you're just giving them more and more opportunities to learn each other. Friends, as we think about the second greatest command, we think about to love one another. We think about to love our neighbor as ourselves. I want to ask you, maybe you've never thought along these lines. One of the most effective tools of evangelism is a friendly congregation. You show me a congregation that doesn't go out of their way for their visitors, and I will show you a congregation that doesn't really care for souls. Who will be the next adult that's baptized in those waters? Almost without exception, it will be an adult that first visited here, received a warm welcome in return later to learn the doctrine. You and I, every Sunday, decide if people will make their second and their third visit. We decide it by whether or not we consider one another and whether or not we prefer one another and whether or not we have interest in other people's lives. Let's make sure, out of all places, to say, let's not get too busy. Let's not get so busy at the time that we assemble together that we overlook souls that are searching for God. This morning, if you're searching for God, I hope I can say you've come to the right place. You've come to a place where people love souls. They love people. They love each other. They love God. We simply want to help you find the right relationship with God. We want to be a part of your lives. We want to be your friends. We want to be your family. If you are ready to be baptized into Christ for the mission of sins, we extend this invitation for those that are believers, to those that are willing to repent of sins and confess before men. Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost focus and important things have, have slipped to the side. Sin has separated between you and your God. I'd encourage you this morning put things back in proper perspective. Put God first in your life. If you need to repent and confess sins, let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you